Hello and welcome to Retrospection. Today we're trimming our tashes, chasing our chopper and honing our hula as we take a look at Magnum PI from 1980 to 1988. My name's Colin and don't ruin my whiskey with ice. I'm not a bloody American. Oh, you did mine. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you did, yes. I've got another one. It's all right. <laughs> That's the first time that's happened. I know, I know. In, in, in 99 episodes. That's it, we're done. Yeah, that's what we were waiting for, right? Well, I'll have to do one of my other ones then. And my name's Paul, and it's rather disgusting when you think about it. It depends what you're thinking about. What are you thinking about, Paul? What are you always thinking about? Hot, steamy sax. I wonder where you were going with that. You love the, you love the saxophone. I was thinking beer, probably, but all right, I'll yeah, take probably. it. Yeah, I'll take a bit of sax. Poured into a saxophone. So <laughs> <laughs> the way you drink it. Could, could you drink it out of the mouthpiece if you tipped it up? Is that how saxophones work? Uh, yeah, it must go all the way through. I mean, when, when you play an instrument, there's that valve that you press to drop your spit out of it. So You'd have to be careful that you, I mean, don't blow. You'd have to suck, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd have to suck. You don't blow it, come out the other yeah, end. Yeah, you'd have to suck really hard as well. But you've had practice. <laughs> I, I was going to say that n- neither one of us suck, so, but... Oh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> A Magnum ran for eight seasons and stars Tom Selleck as Magnum, John Hillman as Higgins, Roger E. Mosley as Theodore T.C. Calvin, Larry Manetti as Orville, Rick Wright, and in this episode, Pamela Susan Shoup as Alice. It was created by Donald P. Belisario and Glenn A. Larson. And the music is by Mike Post. You can't go wrong when you've got the, the twin peaks of uh, Larson and Belisario coming together, can you? No, no, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's a uh, picture, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is in my mind, yeah. yeah. So the pilot was originally a 90-minute episode with different theme, music, and credits. For syndication, it was split into two parts and had the Magnum tune added, which is the version we're watching, right? Yeah, I couldn't find the other version at all. You've, you've got it, though, haven't you? Yes, I've got it, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, there were crossover episodes with Simon and Simon, Murder, She Wrote, and they thought about doing one with the Equalizer. That would have been a little bit weird, although... I'd be quite interested to see Higgins and uh, Robert McCall get together. That could be interesting. That I the only way I could yeah the only way I could think it was would work is if McCall went to Hawaii. Yes. And had served like in, had some connection with Higgins in the past. Yeah. I don't think it worked with Magnum going to New York. No, because he's very much a part of Hawaii, and that's part of him, isn't it? In the show. Yeah. 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 Equalizer seems a, a lot more of a... Oh, no, it's not really gritty, but it seems grittier. I, I suppose, I wonder whether you could do, or whether this was what they, they were going to do, is that Higgins and McCall know each other. Yeah, that's what I would say yeah. mm-hmm. would be a way of doing it. I think a Cagney and Lacey crossover would have been good with Equalizer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think we actually... yeah suggested that in Have our we talked equal- about this? equalizer episode yeah oh yeah. okay all right so we're treading over old ground all right well, no, to to stomp on old ground even more i think in our quantum leap episode we we mentioned that there was talk of a quantum leap crossover at one point as well with with magnum yeah that's right in fact i've seen 
test footage of that episode and it shows uh, Bakula doing that scene in the Hawaiian shirt looking over his shoulder and doing the eyebrow bar. Oh, wow. Where did you see that then? Is that on YouTube? Yes. Yeah, it's, it was shown at a convention, so it's a really bad video mm -hmm. of a screen at a convention showing it. Oh, I'm going to have to take a look at that. I, I think it would have been yeah. that would have been really fun. It would. It's a bit odd because in one episode, Magnum is actually playing on a TV screen in the background. So it's like, is Magnum real world or is he leaping into a TV show? Or was he leaping into Tom Selleck playing Magnum? Who knows how they would have written it. That could have been fun. Leaping mm. into Tom Selleck playing Magnum. Yeah, you'd like to leap into Tom Selleck, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, Tom Selleck first played a detective in a couple episodes of the Rockford Files as Lance White, the guy who gets on Rockford's nerves because he's always right. Clues just fall in his lap and the police love him. And they're good episodes. And that's what they were going to do with Magnum at first, but then realized that that's kind of boring, having a guy who's always getting things right and... Everything goes his way, so they changed it up. Yeah, he, they originally he was going to be more of a sort of sophisticated, suave girl and each arm kind of guy, wasn't he? Yeah, a bit more like you. Oh, obviously, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, girl and each arm. Oh, married man. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Well, I'm talking about your past. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Rockford Files thing's interesting as well because they wanted to get James Gardner on the show a few times, didn't they? But could never get it to happen. I think there was licensing issues as well with him playing Jim Rockford. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah, it would have would have worked as well, the two yeah. of them together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Magnum was supposed to finish at the end of the seventh season, but the way they did it annoyed so many people that they made a shorter eighth season to follow. Is that... Is the is the seventh season the one where he's in a coma for a lot of it, or is that the last season? He's in a coma at the end of the seventh season, and, and it's left ambiguous whether he lives or dies because it shows him, I think if I remember rightly, walking off like he's with an angel. Oh, that, that would have pissed people <laughs> off from no end, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's how we should go out on the podcast, ambiguously. Uh, oh, I was going to say, there's no way you're going to be walking with an angel. <laughs> <laughs> You never know. <laughs> Put it this way. If you're walking off an angel, something's seriously gone wrong with heaven. <laughs> there's some serious shit going down in heaven. That's, there's a title of a film. That's a tagline. <laughs> he died. He walked with an angel. God damn, there's some serious shit going down in heaven. This is defamation of character. To what? To God? I'm a nice guy. <laughs> Oh, All sorry. Right. Oh, I, I thought we finished. Go on. Yes. <laughs> I do remember. I do. I think I remember. Are they on a beach or am I confusing that with, with Miami Vice? That's a good question. I, I remember Crockett in a white suit on a beach in a dream sequence. Yep, and I don't know yep. whether I'm mixing that up with Magnum as well. I, I got a feeling there's a beach involved in Magnum too. Yeah. And isn't the angel played by, um, you know, the, the little John Craven. Guy? Yeah, John Craven. John Craver's news right? Yeah. Um, no, the little chubby guy that plays Ski in this. The guy yes. from um, Tales of the Golden Monkey. Yeah, because Ski's a complicated character in Magnum because he gets killed in the series, but then comes back. And for a while, Magnum thinks it is Ski, but it's not. It's this guy who looks really like Ski. 
That takes some balls to write something like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It does, does yeah. <laughs> and just and just hope that your audience, you know, love it enough that they're just going to go with it. Yeah. And clearly they did. Yeah. Uh, the characters in the show are cited as some of the first positive portrayals of Vietnam vets post-war. Usually the the you know baby killers and all that kind of thing and all the, the horrible stuff that well that's what they were called wasn't it you know the horrible yeah. stuff that was flung at them so as far as they are they are kind of well although one of them in this isn't particularly nice is he but no I mean maybe over the length for the whole run of the show I suppose the show was set in Hawaii partly due to CBS's offices though they were about to close after Hawaii Five O finished now I didn't realise that. Hawaii Five O had a hell of a long run, didn't it? Mm, yeah, it did. Sixty-eight yeah. to nineteen eighty. I know, right? Have you ever seen it? Hawaii Five O. I've caught. Yeah. I've caught the odd episode here and there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never really watched any of it. I should, but I haven't. There, there's apparently there's lots of. I think there's a few in this episode, isn't there? There's lots of references to to Hawaii Five O in Magnum. Five O gets a mention in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they mention McGarrett, don't they, in this episode? I don't. I don't know if they're doing this episode. They do at some point in Magnum, yeah. I think they do, and I think it's in my section, so we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice to see you paying attention this episode. I was. Uh, Higgins' two Dobermans were to be written out in season four to cut costs. I mean, how much did two dogs cost? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're eating so much. I was going to say, what were they feeding them? It's like, it's either Tom Selleck or the dogs. <laughs> well, apparently it was Tom Selleck and John Hillerman that objected so much that they kept them in. Yeah, dogs are important. Absolutely. Uh, Robin Masters, the you never actually see Robin Masters, um, but the voice was by Orson Welles. Yes, yes. And Rob, the Robin he, Masters story, it, it kind of changes. For a while, Magnum thinks it's Higgins really is Robin Masters, and then the show kind of contradicts itself at some point, but then goes back to the idea that it is Higgins at the end of the show. So is it Higgins at the end of the show? Uh, you would think it is, but it's left open. I, I like the idea that it's Higgins. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, mm, I think that's a good a good way to play it. After the show ended, there was talk of a theatrical movie. Oh, I'd watch that. Um, apparently, Universal got Tom Clancy to write a script, oh. but it was decided that the cast wouldn't be a, a big enough draw. Um, and I think I read that it would have concerned Magnum returning to his navy position and getting adventures. That way. Oh, so it, oh, it's set after the series is finished. After then. the series, yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense because at the last episode of the series, he rejoins the Navy. Yeah, and that's where the movie would spring, uh, yeah. spring okay. from. I can understand the, the thinking, this, particularly back then, that, that it wouldn't be a big enough draw for a, for a, a theatrical audience. It would have been cheap to make. Oh, absolutely, I mean, yeah. So, I don't know. We'd have, we'd have seen it. Yes, yeah. The show apparently was one of the highest rated ones on Thursday nights until the launch of the Cosby show. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a piece of information. <laughs> yes, well, we'll just step away from it. Did you read that Roger E. Mosley was a qualified helicopter pilot in reality? Oh, I didn't know that. Did he learn before the show? Yeah, before the show, um, but he was never allowed to do the stunts in the show, even though he, w- he wanted to. Apparently what would happen was the stunt pilot would, would often wear a body stocking with muscles on it to look the part. <laughs> Those were the days, eh, before CG. That's, uh, that's what you do for the show, right, for this podcast. <laughs> I've got it on now. 
Yeah, I can see you, it. Do you want me to show you? Yeah, it's weird though, that one muscle on top of your head. The famous shot of Magnum teaching a lady how to snorkel and holding her up in the water. Yeah. That was never intended to be in the show. Oh, was it just like something they were messing around with? <laughs> well, apparently it was an aside look to the that Selleck just gave to the crew. Oh. A kind of inappropriate 1980s type look. Oh, <laughs> <suppose>. okay. <laughs> a bit of workplace sexism going on, I think. But it's fine. It's Tom Selleck. You forgive him. Yeah. As long as he's not stealing your water. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. Or squeezing your avocados. Squeezing your avocados, yeah. It, Magnum would quite a few times in the show break the fourth wall, wouldn't he? Yes. Yeah. Not like, not like, not really to talk to the fourth wall, but just a look. Yeah, it's usually during sort of ridiculous situations, kind of like looking at the camera and going <laughs> like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe this is happening, can you? Or, or, or if he's a little bit smug about about get, uh, achieving something. Yes. Or getting one yeah. over on somebody. Yeah. yeah. And prior to landing the show, Tom Sully could start in six different unsuccessful pilots. Wow. That's got to be a soul-crushing time, hasn't it? You've been in six shows, pilots for six shows, and not a single one of them have, have been taken up. Yeah. I mean, it pays the bills. I suppose. I suppose. I mean... We're, we're bound to talk about him, and I think we talked about him in our Runaway episode, but why was Tom Selleck not a movie star? It's one of the big mysteries to me, that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe that just the timing wasn't right. Do you think it was the movies as well? There is that. They were never like... If he had done Indiana Jones, like he was supposed to do. Absolutely. I mean, as much as I love Harrison Ford, he is like watching paint dry. Right. There's no. Are you standing next to someone like Tom Selleck? There's no charisma there at all. Yeah, Selleck would have been good in that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, most of the other films he did were weren't that great. I mean, I like Runaway. Runaway. High, High Road to China. High Road to China. I like that one. I know. I kind of like Quigley Down Under. I like that as well. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, he did some good stuff. Presumed Innocent. That was another one he did, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was always, they always kind of felt like, I'm not sure if any of them were, but they kind of felt like they could po probably be canon movies. You know, they had that feel about them. You know, yeah, like, they have that mid-budget yeah, range. Yeah. yeah. And I guess he just uh, wasn't uh, getting, getting, getting offered the roles that could, that could do it for him, really. Yeah. But he's still going on TV. I think he's still in Blue Bloods, right? Which is in its 12th season. I think so, yeah. So f finally from me, there is the novelization of this episode, which, to be honest, the author is clearly insane. <laughs> now, I don't care much for Amazon reviews, but I, I'm just going to read this one about the novel. Okay. This book is so old now that it isn't worth going into details, really. But unless all you're interested in is collecting memorabilia for the sake of having it, do not spend one penny on this dreadful, dreadful book. It purports to be a novelization of the Magnum P.I. pilot film, but it is absolutely incomprehensible drivel. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not writing a cruel review of a not great book. I'm telling you, literally, that this flat out is a crazy person's manuscript. 
Every line of dialogue is padded with backstory and even historical digression. And the whole first third of the book, which is set before the pilot film, even begins, Oh God, you don't want to know. Truly, all I tell you is, when this book was relatively new, I was so flabbergasted that it could have been made through even a cursory editing process that I wrote the tie-in editor at Granada Books. He wrote back, apologetically, you're absolutely right. This book's approval had nothing to do with me. <laughs> I don't know how truthful that is, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Pretty much. So you've read it, obviously. Yes, I've read it. I have it. I think I bought it for you, didn't I? I think you did, yeah. yeah. It's one of the best birthday presents you ever gave me. And so so without without obviously going into it too much, what 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 is it about it that is so bad? I would be reading little excerpts from the book here and there. Not too many, because this isn't an audio book podcast, mm-hmm. but I will be. So let me do that, and you can taste the flavor. Oh, fantastic. I'll strap in for that. Then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we get one of the best opening themes and a real great introduction to the show through the opening credits. Shots of all the characters, the Ferrari, Hawaii, fighting, great chopper skills, and it finishes with the iconic over-the-shoulder eyebrow bob. It, it is. It's one of the best theme tunes ever, isn't it? And it, it, when I was watching it, it took me right back to being a kid. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. We open with Magnum swimming in the Pacific Ocean and the title Don't Eat the Snow in Hawaii appears. He's towing a bag attached to him. When he gets out of the water, he seems tired, as if he's been swimming for a long time. He runs along a wall. It appears he's up to some covert action. I'll point out that this opening scene occurs on page 83 of the 223-page novel. What's he doing for the, uh, for the previous 82 pages then, Colin? Backstory about Magnum investigating a rape of a Vietnamese prostitute. Oh, well, that's a fun, uh, <laughs> that's a fun time <laughs> for everyone. And a lot of that. stuff about colonialism. Oh, okay. I can see yeah. why they didn't include that in this. And just started it here. Yeah, they just decided to miss it out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Now, in fact, I'll, re- I'll read you a bit. All right, go on. The military is a thriving industry in Uwawu. The island's beauty has been somewhat marred by the constant influx of new citizens and tourists by jet. Each of these is a conspicuous consumer and tosses away his first year of beer cans and plastic wrappings so the more densely populated parts of the island look like Coney Island after a state holiday. For density of population, I think it's Oahu makes Britain or Japan resemble empty Siberian wastes. Honolulu expanded as far as it could and then continued to swell by building upwards and then gouging out more space from the mountains. The scenery was rearranged to fit in some more high-rises. Pearl Harbor has not escaped the building development. Even so, there's still plenty of untouched islands left to content the eye. The pineapple fields are yet there, the neat spiky leaves protruding from the soil like the headgear of well-regimented African warriors. going to tap out. (laughs) (laughs) The sugarcane fields still rustle in the soft breeze and the mountains rear up without a single billboard advertising Schlitz or Budweiser beers. The Defence Department... It's a potential spender, and its projects of men keep the economy thriving. There are sprawling housing estates of the same pattern to be found in any part of America. There have been considerable changes since the arrival of Captain Cook and his crew. 
but if they were to come again, they would notice that they did not look too closely. No difference from the time when they first dropped anchor and gave those strained planks a rest. I like to give my strained plank a rest. They were the very first tourists and it had been hard for them to return aboard again for the long journey back to a very different fog-blanketed isle across which northeasterly winds raged in winter. The Americans had long since taken over and the island is now a thriving naval base. The sun was rising out of the Pacific, its golden rays surfing across the waves and picking out one of the few isolated beaches left on the north shore of Oahu. A man was swimming through the surf. His name was Magnum. Well, I, I don't think much of this episode of Jack and Ori. <laughs> you don't. No, <laughs> I'm beginning to think we should do a we should do a a, a a book podcast where each episode is a chapter of me just reading this book. <laughs> if you'd like to hear that, email yes. us at info at retrospection.com. Yes, we'll, we'll we'll put it as an extra on a Patreon page if anyone wants to wants to support us. Yeah, that's what you, you get, Colin. Reading that. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Well, I can see. I can see um, what he's trying to do. Glad you can. So back in the episode, we get the voiceover that the show is famous for. It's funny the things a grown man will do for a living, especially me. Take this morning, I'm breaking into Robin Masters' estate. You know, the writer, the one with all the bestsellers and all that money. And we get a shot of a man patrolling a veranda of the house. No, that's not Robin. That's ex-surgeant Major Higgins. He's sort of the major domo around here. Robin flies in once or twice a year. We see Magnum picking the lock of a gate. On the gate is a sign that says private property, trespassers will be prosecuted, guard dogs on duty. The rest of the time, the estate is open to his friends. And then we cut to a shot of two blonde twins sleeping in separate beds. This whole thing of, of, of Robin Masters having earth stewardesses staying at his, at his house when he's not there... Mm -hmm. What's that about? Well, they're his friends, so they're there when he's there as well, but he also allows people to stay in when he's not there. Ah, but you've got that easy or isn't he as well, haven't you? With Higgins. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I yeah. see. Right, okay. Yeah. Let, let's see what the book makes of that little, little five-second scene of those ladies <laughs> laying in the bed, shall we? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why, at this very moment, there are two cuties in bed inside, doing the brass bedsteads a considerable favour by lying on them. The only trouble with brass bedsteads is they make one hell of a noise when you're satisfying a lady. Satisfying a lady? Okay. <laughs> the interior sprung mattress is the greatest thing since saccharine. He's got one of these, hasn't he? This writer. He's got and got one. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He's talking about Magnum here. He was a shy sort who did not want the whole world to know the speed and power of his thrusts. He is a big man. <laughs> he thought of Inge and Greta, blonde and brunette, lying there, their only clothing, their own pubic hair. Well, it was the 80s. <laughs> they had told him they always slept in the nude. They were earth stewardesses, and their neat little uniforms would be hung up and the flight bags resting on the polished wooden floor. Some psychologists have said that everyone thought about sex every nine and a half minutes all throughout the day. He had not timed himself, but the shrink he felt confident was not far out as he was concerned. He imagined for a moment Inge's heavy breasts, punctuated by swollen nipples like strawberries canned in syrup. <laughs> was this 
it's written by the same guy that wrote that Flash Gordon novelization, <laughs> by any chance. Yeah. You'd think so, right? Then he pictured the rounded, muscular stomach and the charismatic swell beneath. This was followed by an image of a polished, sumptuous butt, heavy and complacent in its movements. There you go. Uh, that was it. About three seconds <laughs> shot. <laughs> I think he lingered a little bit too much. Uh, what, what was that? What was that line? Um, charismatic moaned or charismatic swell. Charismatic swell. Okay. But nipples like strawberries, canned in syrup, which sounds disgusting. He's got a sweet tooth, obviously. What, one lump or two? <laughs> Back to the episode. Higgins' job is to see that they're well-bedded, fed, watered and protected. Higgins shouts for the dogs to go to the post. Their names are Zeus and Apollo. Me, I live here too, so why am I breaking in? Well, I made a deal with Robin to run a series of security checks in exchange for living free in the guest house. First check was to try and steal the Ferrari. Thought I'd made a pretty good deal. Then I met Higgins. He takes his job much too seriously. Now I'm going to do it from the book okay. <clears throat> about Higgins. And then this is going to be my last bit, really, about the book until later. I'm not going to keep oh, doing no. this. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was an ex-sergeant major in the Prince of Wales' own West Yorkshire Regiment and now the major domo of the estate. He was by no means in the common run of sergeant majors, as he was slim in build. Slim in build? Okay. Yeah. In the British Army, to be at all convincing as, or even to achieve the rank of warrant officer, there was an essential qualification of girth. The ideal was a bow-fronted effect of a great chest and belly held in place by a wide, balanced belt. The expression should be fierce and the face browned by foreign postings, and also made ruddy by years of dedicated drinking in the sergeant's mess. It's a curious thing that sergeants are almost invariably more or less slim in build, while it is a sine qua non that sergeant majors are stout. Higgins was something of an enigma because he did not conform to decent acceptable standards of what a person in a certain position should look like. Despite long tours in the outposts of the Empire just before it was all given back to what he calls scathingly the wogs, <laughs> he remained pale. <laughs> He has got drunk in Delhi, boozed in Bangalore, been half-cut in Calcutta, sick in Port Said, pissed in Peshawar, and canned from Cape Town to the Caribbean. He had had fevers on the Ivory Coast and dysentery in Palestine. He had been scorched by the sons of protectorates, dependencies, colonies, mandates and occupied zones. The starch had been sweated out of his khaki drill from Rangoon to Gibraltar. He had been posted to Korea, Northern Ireland, Malta and Berlin. There was hardly a spot on the globe where he had not displayed his smartly bellied uniform and no soil where he had not smashed down his studded boots immaculately to attention. Thirteen studs to each boot, a strict military regulation. I think he needs to stop travelling. I mean, he does, obviously doesn't agree with him, does it? <laughs> no, does this sound like Higgins to you? Well, obviously, I mean, you read that and you instantly think John Hillerman, don't you? He's the perfect guy for, the, for this role, <clears throat> as written in that book. Yeah, yeah. He had never cared for Americans, and had a bigoted dislike of them. They were not, it was true, wogs, but he felt they fell short in many ways. He had never been able to bear watching American troops drilling, as the way they shuffled about them made him feel quite ill. They slid their feet about like homosexual ballroom dancers. Oh. They had to... <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to quit while you're ahead, Colin. <laughs> yep, yeah, I'll stop. 
But yeah, that's 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 why the book is crazy. Well, that he's he's that writer's displaying a little bit too much of his own personality in that book, there. I think, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> yeah. Wow. No wonder you don't see that on the shelves anymore. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's why it's like one hundred twenty-five dollars <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> worth every penny, Paul. Thank you. That's all right. You're worth it. <laughs> Magnum starts to massage his shoulder, which seems to be causing him some pain. We see an old bullet scar. Like I said, funny the things a grown man will do for a living. But I've done funnier. We hear the banging of Asian gongs, and in black and white we see Magnum in uniform, under fire. We see a quick glimpse of TC and the chopper. These are memories of Vietnam. Now, I've often wondered, do you really see flashbacks in black and white? Uh, And when you do have a flashback, does the world around you just stop while you're having your flashback? Mine do. All my Vietnam flashbacks are in black and white. That's amazing, that. Was that not just because of most of the movies that you've seen about Vietnam are in black and white? No, it was a terrible holiday I had once. Oh, right, like a bogner? I tried to, but she wouldn't let me. I have no idea what that meant. <laughs> it was very quick. It was nice. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, like in Highlander, and he stops and he looks off into the distance and he has a flashback. Does, does everything just That's... stop around him? That's because he's trying to remember his next line. Probably. Islander. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Back in the present, Magnum takes his clothes out of the bag he was putting along and a tape recorder. He presses play and a high-pitched sound is emitted. This upsets Zeus and Apollo and Higgins sends them off to find Magnum. They run to the tape recorder. Behind them, Magnum shuts the gate, locking them out. Magnum sneaks behind Higgins and around the house. He presses a button and opens the electronic gate, then starts to unpick the lock of the Ferrari. Meanwhile... Higgins has let the dogs back in. Who's let the dogs back in? Higgins has. Magnum sees them running towards them and say to himself, don't look at the dogs, work the lock. They close in on him. I like that moment as well. And I like the payback yeah. as well. Yeah, later. Yeah. 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 Finally, he gets the door open just as the dogs reach him. Magnum breaks the fourth wall looking at the camera. Sometimes everything goes as planned. It, it works really well when he, whenever he does that. Yeah, and all, yeah, already, already, um, Tom Selleck's coming across as incredibly likable in this, and he's in. You've only seen him for like five minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But then he realizes the car is beeping and getting louder and higher. Sometimes it doesn't. He discovers that overnight Higgins has installed an alarm system that activated the moment he opened the door. He now has a minute to figure out the combination before a siren goes off and the fuel pump will lock. The twins arrive. And Magnum chats to them as he tries to figure out the code. And he's so laid back while he's doing it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good mm. exchange. Higgins approaches with a smug smile on his face. I don't know what that means. I don't, thinks... I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that, Colin. You don't no. know. You know what? Oh, yeah. You, you don't know what the word smile means. <clears throat> the word smug. You totally 100% know about that. That's a, that's a private joke must... between us, Colin. <laughs> I think they could tell from the tone of her voice you're a smug bastard. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Those emails we get. Dear smug bastard and Colin. Yeah, but they're from you. Oh, that is true. Yeah. 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 Magnum thinks it must be a number the Major Domo is familiar with. After trying a few different ones, he realizes it might be Robin Master's personal number. 
It is, and the alarm stops. The smug grin on Higgins' face drops as Magnum speeds away. He's got to pick up a buddy from the airport who's coming in from Tokyo. He's got to be a few minutes late, right? Mm-hmm. If you're wondering how I could be so sure the combination was the phone number, if it wasn't, Higgins would have won. And fate just wouldn't do that to me. He smiles at the camera and speeds away. When that gate closes on them dogs, one of those dogs really slams into it head first, doesn't he? Yeah, I didn't like no, that. No, neither did yeah. I. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's a solid opening, right? You understand the difference between Higgin- Higgins? Higgins! <laughs> we understand well, the yeah. difference between Higgins and Magnum. We have the premise of the show. We learn that everything doesn't always go the way Magnum mm-hmm. plans. We have the voiceovers and the occasional breaking of the fourth wall. Yeah, you know exactly what you're going to get. Yeah, it's a perfect opening. Yeah. We got to the airport at a plane landing. We learned that this is a military airfield and these are military personnel. It's pointed out to them not to bring any illegal souvenirs from Japan. We cut to customs. And the lieutenant is being asked questions about his luggage, especially the Japanese documents. Mm-hmm. The lieutenant flashes his ID and is let through. He's naval intelligence. And we see Magnum arriving at Pearl Harbor. He greets the guard at the gate, who's called Ski. He recognizes Magnum. Ski says he hasn't seen Magnum since he left the Navy about a year ago, and that he's heard Magnum is playing at being detective. Magnum corrects him private investigator that's something he'll do throughout the series this is um this whole episode felt like a who's who of 80s belisario and glenn a larson actors didn't it there's so many in this yeah i didn't i didn't realize till we started doing this podcast that he would use the same like group of actors Absolutely. Even even in little roles, um, later when we have the, the is it the coroner or the the um in, in, in the mortuary. Yeah. The doctor in the mortuary. Yeah, yeah. He's another one who pops up in a lot yeah. in these shows as well. I, I've met that guy, he's a nice guy. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know that that show that you mentioned, uh, Little Roles. The what? You, you said you said the pops up in little roles. I don't know that show. Is that a Belisario show? Little roles? Is it? Is it? No. It's a. What is it? What's it about? It's about small people investigating crimes. I'm glad you said small people. Well, what do you think I was going to say? Well, you know, there's certain certain words you're not allowed to use anymore. Oh, okay. What? We're back to Bill Cosby again. Ski asked Magnum about the Ferrari. Where do you steal her from? Magnum is insulted. Makes you think she's not mine. Ski bursts out laughing. We get that. We get that again later, don't we? People always just don't believe anything to do with money or anything to do with like. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, it's just it's just laughed at by his friends, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Back at the airfield, as Cook is leaving, he's stopped by a shore patrol sergeant who says that Captain Cooley needs to see Dan now. He leads him to a car. They get in and drive away just as Magnum pulls in behind them. Cook sees Magnum and asks for them to pull over so he can, you know, go and tell Magnum where he is. But they refuse, and the sergeant bends Cook's hand back, and they drive away. Meanwhile, Magnum gets out of the Ferrari, throws some jeans over his shorts, and goes inside. Did you did you hear the the really loud snapping sound effect in the car? Yeah, it was a bit over the I top, did. wasn't it? I thought that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back with Lieutenant Cook, the car pulls up at a gate in an alley. The sergeant starts to beat Cook up, and then leaves him laying on the ground. As Cook tries to get up, he sees Magnum drive work past. And we get a close-up of Cook's hand, and he's wearing a distinctive ring. Mm-hmm. We cut to an autopsy. And it seems that bags of cocaine were inside Lieutenant Cook, and they burst during the fight. 
The ME thinks Cook swallowed the packets before boarding the plane, then planned to retrieve them later when he goes potty. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> <laughs> it's revealed that Cook's favorite Admiral Raleigh Cook. The ME says they could say that Cook died of an overdose to save embarrassing his father, but Captain Cooley refuses, saying that Cook's military rights and benefits should be revoked. If he hadn't died, the captain would have caught marshaled him. The actor playing um, Cooley, he pops up in so many things and he's always an arsehole, isn't he? <laughs> in everything I've ever seen of him. Yeah, right. Do you think yeah. that's on his resume? Per- perfect for arseholes. Well, do you have it on your resume? Well, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> perfect for arseholes. <laughs> yeah, do you? <laughs> Carry on. All right. Magnum arrives back at Robin's nest. The dogs won't let him out of the car, but the twins rescue him as they like him. Got to say as well, I meant to say this earlier, but the camera really does love to pan along that car, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it paid for a certain amount of footage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's footage that they're going to reuse a lot, I would imagine, in 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 the series. Especially those overhead, top-down aerial shots of him driving down roads. I would imagine that they get reused a lot. You know, I don't think they do. Really? Because I, rem- I, remember, seeing, I remember seeing that and thinking, you don't... I remember thinking, wow, it looks like chips. And the music changes weirdly mm-hmm. for that scene. And I remember thinking, that's something they didn't really do that much in Magnum, was that? If they don't, then that's probably Belisario's influence. If it was Glenn A. Larson, it would be used in everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are other things, like the Ferrari leaving Robin's Nest probably gets used a lot. Yeah. Must do. Yeah, and I'm sure that probably um, Magnum wears the same shirts a lot as well, so that it, they can they can cut and splice. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 But it's not as bad as some of the other shows. No, uh, I think we, I can't remember whether we talked about it on the podcast or whether it was just uh, something we were talking about ourselves. But we don't talk outside the podcast, Paul. What what do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, we're we're not friends, really, are we? Um, No, no, it's just professional. It is. It's it's all an act. Um, We're like like, uh, the two guys from Chips, aren't they? Yes. 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 No, um, the, one of the worst ones is um, how Mark Singer never changes his clothes in V so that they can reuse all the shots of him for everything that they, they whatever they need to tell. Yeah. So the twins invite Magnum to the pool. Magnum watches them run into the water as he enters his home. He grabs a beer and makes a call and phones for Lieutenant Cook. As he waits to be put through, he grabs his binoculars. Yeah, this is a bit risque for TV at the time, isn't it? This scene. Oh, he's just watching them. Oh, because they're topless, they're right? They're topless, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shocking. Shocking. You say like Sean Connery then. <laughs> Shocking. Lieutenant <laughs> <laughs> Healy answers the phone and tells Magnum that Cookie's dead. As Magnum cradles the phone, we see that he has the ring with the same design as Lieutenant Cook's. Ooh. We cut to Vietnam. A soldier is trying to contact the base. He also has the same kind of ring. And that's Robert uh, Loggia. Loggia? Yeah. Loggia? It is Loggia. Always right? a dependable actor, Robert Loggia, wasn't he? Yeah. Do you remember that show that we both liked that didn't last that long? Mancuso FBI. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great yeah. show. Yeah. yeah. I haven't watched it since, though. 
Is it? Oh, it's quite hard to find, I think. Yeah. But he, he pops up in so much stuff in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's, he, he plays a type. Usually he plays a lot of uh, heavies. Yeah. We're in Vietnam. Soldier's trying to contact the base. He also has the same kind of ring that Lieutenant Cook has. Magnum arrives. They talk about the fact that Magnum wants to resign. Cook reveals that he's there because his dad expected it. But Magnum has done his tour and can get out. Magnum says no, because you can't split up the team. They're a team. What do you think of these um, Vietnam flashbacks? Think they look okay? Uh, they're all right. I mean, they're obviously not, you know, they're obviously filmed down the road. Some, somewhere in Hawaii, I assume they're filmed. I think they're lucky that they are in Hawaii, aren't they? And that they've got places like that to film Ve- this. Vegetation thing. that kind of could pass as Vietnam. Absolutely. Rather than, say, the Vietnam sequences in the A-Team that clearly look like they're filmed in California. That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. If, if you're yeah. going to do shoestring, shoestring Vietnam, then at least this, this, this one actually works. We're a team. We have matching rings, don't we? I'm not. I'm not even gonna. I'm not. No, no, I'm not. No, no. All right. I'm not okay. gonna bite. Oh, I hope not. We cut to a plane landing at Hawaii. Magnum wonders if he had been on time earlier. Could he have saved Dan's life? He's waiting to pick up Dan's sister Alice, and he drives her from the airport. She talks about her brother and the dad's reaction to learn that Dan is dead, especially the way he died. Magnum thinks that Captain Cooley's press release was just to let the people who murdered Dan think they got away with it, but Alice tells her that Cooley officially told her dad that Dan died while smuggling drugs in his stomach. Magnum can't believe it. Later, he bursts into Cooley's office. He demands to know why Cooley wrote that press release and threatens Cooley. Cooley hands him the medical report. Magnum still thinks it's nonsense. Dan's NIA clearance meant he could have just walked through with drugs in the bag. Nobody would have checked. Cooley says Dan wasn't on an investigation in Tokyo, but Magnum claims that Dan called him and said he was on a big case and that he needed Magnum's help when he returned to Hawaii. But Magnum has no more information than that. It's revealed that Cooley is jealous of Magnum and Cook because of who Cook's father is. He thinks they rose in the ranks because of that. Magnum tells him that Dan was murdered and he's got to prove it. When he does, Cooley can kiss those gold ribbons that he spent 30 years egg-sucking for. Cooley slams the door in his face. Two things about this scene, and it's a really good scene that I like. I, I, I like how they referred to um, the gold on the cap as scrambled eggs, but didn't explain it. Right. Yeah. Um, because that's the terminology that, 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 that they actually use, isn't it? But it's nice that they just, they just say it and don't explain it, because it, right. would be, it would be weird if they said it and then they just explained it for the audience. So it's like yes. one person explaining to another person something that they already know. Yeah. That was good. And I was a bit sceptical about Cooley at first because I thought, oh, this guy's just a stereotypical antagonistic commanding officer, isn't he? It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit weak. But there's more to it that we find out yeah. later. Which And, right. I, I, and when yeah. that happens, I, I didn't actually expect that, what happens later. And, and I thought, that, this, is, this is good. This is good writing. This, I, I like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Well put nice. together. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Magnum is waiting for Healy and offers to buy him a beer, but he refuses and drives off. Magnum gives chase and urges him to have that drink. At a dark, Magnum tries to get information from Healy. He wants Healy to get him Dan's case files. First, Healy refuses, but Healy starts talking, telling Magnum that Cooley had Dan doing petty jobs. Magnum insists there must have been something in Japan. 
Ely says that the only thing happening was a 30-year-old Japanese zero had been found by some kids who were skin diving. But it's not a drug case or anything big. But Healy agrees to call Magnum if he hears of anything. As Magnum leaves the dock, we see the guy who attacked Cook watching him while on the phone. He tells his colleague that they have to kill Magnum. They follow Magnum's Ferrari onto the freeway. Meanwhile, Magnum ruminates about Healy and what kind of case he must have been working on. He could no more smuggle coke than breathe underwater. He decides he has to steal the case files if Healy won't give them to him. As they go into a tunnel, Magnum realizes he's being followed. He starts to worry about damaging the Ferrari, and then they start shooting at him, and he quits worrying. <laughs> the chase continues, but the bad guys miss time a bend. One of them falls out the car, rolls down a hill, but then the car travels over the hill with the driver still inside, tumbling and landing upside down. Petrol pours from the open cap, and a fire starts. As Magnum runs over, the car explodes. An explosion after the crash, perfect. That's all we wanted. Yeah, but, but interestingly... Earlier on in the chase, when the car with the criminals in makes a left turn, you can see petrol pouring from the petrol cap. Really? I didn't notice that. Yeah, because I noticed it and thought, oh, look, some idiot didn't put the petrol cap on properly. They, ma- they made a mistake. And then, of course, it's later got a payoff. On, it actually, it's got a payoff. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's not a mistake. It was deliberate. It's, it's nice if you see it. If you don't see it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask you as well. It's as good a place as any to ask you. How do you feel about the voiceover? I, I like it because it, it's like reminiscent of detective stories, like film noir. Film detective noir. Stories. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they're funny and interesting. They give you an insight into what he's thinking. I would probably agree with you about 90% of the time, but occasionally, like during the driving scene, I think it's a bit intrusive. I think it, mm. it, it pulls you out of it a little bit and it's, it, it gets right. a little bit annoying. Very, very few times it does it, but there are occasions where I find it a little bit... It, it doesn't need it. Right. Uh, but the chase, really well shot. Um, You've got to say as well that, that... I know the scenery probably helps with this, but it's very cinematic, this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It doesn't yeah. look like a TV thing at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you can see would... that they've thought about the shots and, 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 and what they're going to do with the camera. Yeah, it definitely would transfer to the cinema screen if they were going to do a movie, like you said. Mm, absolutely. It surprises me that back in in those days, they they didn't release it, maybe in Europe as a movie, because they did that a lot with other TV shows, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And it would have worked. It would have made, made them some money, I think. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so too. Mm-hmm. Magnum realizes that trying to explain to Five O why guys with a machine gun were chasing him and that there's nothing you could do for the dead guys... Well, he realizes that best just to leave. So he does, but the guy who fell out the car before it exploded clambers back up the cliff. His shirt saved him. Yes, it did. His name's name's Kono, isn't it? Is it Kono? That sounds like a medical complaint. Magnum arrives home. He calls out for the dogs, but they don't come. He enters his little beach house, whatever it is, and uh, finds Higgins waiting with the dogs. Higgins says that Robin Masters had just called to congratulate Higgins on passing the first security test, even though he didn't. He wants to know why Magnum said he had, so you owe me one. Mm. Higgins lays down the ground rules, separating the house and its grounds between them. As he leaves, he says to Magnum, it's a pity you couldn't have been more like your sister. Magnum looks confused. He goes over to the phone and calls Rick. 
He asked Rick to find out what the two guys, find out who the two guys were that tried to kill him on the Pali Highway. He tells him that they're dead. Magnum asks him what the word on the street is about Dan's death. Rick replies that the street says he was a lone wolf mooling for some dwarf dicer who connected on a free slot. Magnum says, if you don't speak English, I'm going to tell all of Honolulu your real name. Rick cuts it out and says that Dan was smuggling for some small-time dealer who made all these deals on a payphone. But Magnum still doesn't buy it. This whole Humphrey Bogart shtick from Rick, it only lasts in the pilot, isn't it? I think it, no, it, it lasts a little longer, but not that long. It does get disappear after a bit, yeah. I can see why. And, and it's weird as well because the, it, the disco music really... It, it, I can I can get it if he if he was running a club and he and he did it all retro. But when he does it and he's doing it like that, and then you've got the disco music over the top, it really feels incongruous and you, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's not his bear, really, is it? It's it's part of the Robin Masters estate or something. I can't oh, figure out the connection. I, I well, didn't Higgins, know that. It's, I've heard, it's not part of Robin Masters estate, but Higgins is on the board of the committee for the club. Okay, all right. Okay. So, I mean, Rick can run it, but I can't. I guess he can't do everything that he wants to do with it because he has to put it to the committee. But Rick is, in this episode, his persona is that he wants to be Rick from Casablanca. Yeah, he's himself. wearing a white suit with a carnation yeah. in and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this is another actor as well that we see in everything. Yeah. Yeah, he popped up in yeah. an episode of, uh, a couple of episodes of Battlestar Galactica that I, that I rewatched a couple of days ago. That's right, he does, mm-hmm. yeah. Magnum wants to meet with a person called Snow White, but Rick isn't happy. Where do I get the seven dwarfs to pull you out of the ocean? But Snow White is the only person who can waste ten ounces of coke on a hit. Magnum hangs up and heads to the bedroom. There's a suitcase on the bed, and he hears a shower running. It turns out Alice hasn't gone home. She pretended to be Magnum's sister to get into his room. She wants to stick with Magnum because he's the only one doing something about Dan's death. And there's a nice moment here where you think they're going to, you know, going to kiss each other and it's going to get all cheesy, but it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I noted that I thought it was good that they only joke about them being romantically involved and then they completely avoid it, don't they, in, yeah. in the script. Which yeah. nine times out of ten you don't get. You've got to have no. a love interest for your main character. Yeah, Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. He picks up Dan's dog tags and an envelope containing personal effects, leaves the bedroom. He empties it on a table. Alice tells him that there was a receipt for some photocopying that he'd done at the Imperial War Records in Tokyo. The team ring drops on the table and Magnum flashes back to Vietnam. TC is flying the helicopter, calling to Magnum and the team on the ground. Rick is also in the chopper and the team on the ground are in a firefight. TC gives them directions to move so they can be picked up. The team runner's smoke obscures their view. Suddenly, Alice calls him and brings him back to the present. As we focus on the ring, we see to be continued. It's a very low-key way to see a first part out, isn't it? No cliffhanging action sequence, just a little character moment. It's good. It's good. I mean, it never was intended to be split into two, so... So that's why well, that's why it is this way. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it works. works. It works as a... Because yeah. you want to you know what, what, what's going to happen next. Definitely, as much yep. as if it was a big action sequence. I was going to say as well that and uh, one of the other things that I really like about it so far is that, you know, you get really bad scripts where everything's introduced clunkily. 
you know. We're, Ex- exposition. Yeah, yeah. I like how they slowly introduce Magnum's relationship to all these other characters rather than just, you know, big exposition scenes that are just yes. there for you, you know. They'll, they'll, they'll have a line where he'll reference something and it, it'll be completely meaningless, but, it, but the two characters get it. You don't get it right. necessarily as, as, as the audience, but and, and it'll get paid off later. It'll get explained. Right. But at that moment, it's not, there's no need to explain it. The characters get it, and you'll get the explanation yeah. later. That, that, I, I like all that. That's really, really good. And you don't see that very often at all. No, no. And the, the visual link with the ring is good too because no one actually mentions it. Absolutely. And that, that, goes, right, that goes right up the way to the end of the episode, doesn't it? Yeah. So Magnum and Alice are at a club to meet Snow White. Now, is this Rick's club still, or is it just a club? It's just day club, just day this, club. I think, because Rick's not there, right? No, no. No, so it's just day club. And Snow White is strutting her stuff on the dance floor, and, and this place looks right out of the movie Airplane. <laughs> you know the you know the club I'm thinking of in Airplane. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you could have throw her through the air. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of the few things in this that felt dated. It didn't help. The the, right. the, the, the disco music didn't help either. But yeah. Alice is shocked at how young Snow White is, and Magnum explains how she controls all the coke dealt between here and Hong Kong. The drug, not the sugary, syrupy drink. Just, right, just to right. clarify. Yeah, good job you did. Yeah. She's 19 mm-hmm. and was tutored under a general. What's his name? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write the name. Do you know the name? Neutrang. Neutrang. Wasn't he a Transformer? No, he used to be in a band. He was in the Neutron clan. And this general controlled the Golden Triangle. Um, they married uh, while she was 11. She's from Wigan. <laughs> and she probably had him killed too. Now, that's a go-getter in my book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they meet with Snow White, but as a precaution against listening devices, she turns up the music in the office. I like that. Because they don't explain it. Right. You, but you, you know why she's doing it. Yeah. I will say I was waiting for a cop rock moment to kick in for a second when she turned the music up. For the control burst into start singing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd had a flashback. She's skeptical about Dan's death being murder. But if it was, she says that finding the killer would be to everyone's mutual advantage. Yeah. And she's with a partner who IMDb just lists as Arab. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. He deals in gold and tells Magnum that it's rumoured that 30 million in gold bullion is to change hands in Hawaii at half the price. I think you have to say that differently, don't you? Don't you have to say, like, he deals in gold! <laughs> <laughs> Always believe in you yourself, it, right? is that what you're saying? Yeah, you have to say that, yeah. Do I have to? Uh, no, you don't have to. Thanks. I've just done it for you. Thanks. He wants to know who, and Magnum suspects that if Dan was investigating the case and discovered who was involved, it may have gotten him killed. Mm, it's all coming together. It is. Snow White throws out a name, Le Boule. Sorry, what was that again? Le Boule. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's right, isn't it? It's French. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I, oh, yeah. I thought you were doing a Scots accent. Sorry. Nibool. Nibool. <sighs> Saying that she's never met him and doesn't know his real name. Apparently, Nibool appeared on the scene of... Don't laugh. Why, why is he got camp? <laughs> Ooh, Nibool. Nibool appeared on the scene a few years ago and became a major force in the heroin trade with possible Chinese connections. Um, I've got a Chinese connection, you know. <sighs> This could go horribly wrong. Here we go. We're cancelled. What? What key like down the road? I've got the number. I've got them on speed dial, actually. But... I mean, is that a Chinese takeaway place? Yeah. yeah. Walkie like. It's a real place. I'm not making it up. What's it? Walk you like? Walk you like. Walk you, letter you, yeah, like. like. All right. I always want to do it. We'll call it a Chinese place and just play Genesis songs and call it Walk This Way. If Magnum was to nail the bull, the bull, is it the bull, the for Dan's murder, then Alice would get her brother's killer, and Snow White and Shady Guy could get the gold. But Magnum tells her that if this the did kill Dan, she doesn't have to worry about him getting off the island with any gold, so he's going to kill him. Yeah. And Magnum wants to know where he can find this the we cut to TC. Wait, sorry, so can I ask you yeah. a question? Every time you say Laboul, you lean into the microphone and the strange angle. It just angle. feels, what, it feels natural. Feels yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm feeling it, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you keep feeling. I will. We cut to TC flying Magnum over the island in his iconic chopper. Mm, yeah. That's got to be one of the, what one of so many vehicles from 80s tv shows that if if you saw a picture of it you'd instantly go magnum that and the ferrari yeah yeah apparently liboul is cruising. did i lean in again yeah you did yeah he's cruising somewhere in the uh cruising on a boat i don't mean he's cruising yeah <laughs> it's just loose. yeah uh, right. he's, he's cruising somewhere in the vicinity of a naval gunnery range and magnum has a surplus camera on hand to take photographs right and as TC leans out the window to look at a passing yacht, we cut back to Vietnam. And TC is flying his gunship with Rick in the back. He I got to say, I thought, I thought the cut of uh, TC looking and then coming back in, and then it cut in. I thought it was a great matching cut. Yeah, because you, you almost don't see it. Yeah. It takes you a second, doesn't it, to orientate yourself, to realize that yes. what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, TC's flying his gunship. Rick's in the back, and he hovers overhead as Magnum, Dan, and Trousseau are still bogged down in a firefight. Mm. The team move out, still returning fire, and head for a clearing, but Dan is wounded, and they drag him into some bushes. Yep. Trousseau orders Magnum and Dan to get to the chopper. Or should I say, get to the chopper? Get to the chopper! One of us was going to do it. While he gives them cover, and reluctantly they go. The chopper lands as Magnum carries the wounded Dan towards it. You've got to say all this is fantastic, isn't it? I know it's Vietnam done on a budget, like we, we talked about earlier, but what they, for what they need to do, it, it looks fantastic. It, more so yeah. in this flashback than it did in the previous ones. Right, yep. And there's a fantastic shot coming up in a minute. Yeah, I think you know which one I'm on about. Oh, you have to tell me, I think. They reach the chopper and Dan is bundled aboard as Magnum returns fire with his sidearm. 
but Trousseau takes what looks like a bad hit to the chest and rolls into the undergrowth. He grabs the radio and calls to the chopper, ordering them to take off. Mm-hmm. Relu- yeah. Reluctantly, Magnum climbs aboard and they escape, leaving Trousseau behind. And this is the great shot. It's where um, Magnum literally gets pulled on board, as, on board the chopper and it pulls away in one shot and you can see that it's Tom Selleck hanging out of the side of, of the chopper. It's so right. cinematic and it's, it's, it, it's, it's probably the best shot in the whole episode, I think. Yeah, very excited by it, aren't you? I would. See it in your little face. I would. I rewound it. Watched it again. I was that. I was like, you rewound it. Well, you know. Well, you watch it on tape, <laughs> were you? <laughs> I've, got, I've got the VCR. <laughs> full yeah. retro, were you? <laughs> well, we are retro, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We cut back to Nair with Magnum and TC in the helicopter. They see an island, and Magnum searches with his binoculars for Laboul's ship. Now, this is the island where they do gunnery tests, isn't it? Yes, yeah. TC is sceptical that he'll find him, though. Suddenly, TC points out a ship dead ahead. But Magnum says it's a Navy patrol boat used to keep people from the island during gunnery practice. And they move on to the south, checking out more ships, and there's a little bit of a montage of them flying around. Yeah, yeah. And the aerial photography in this is just really, really good. It's better than Airwolf. Oh, gosh. Put that on the back of the box. Better than Airwolf. Aerial <laughs> <laughs> photography that will put Airwolf to shame. Yeah. He does, though. He does. Yeah. Suddenly, Magnum has a thought. It's Sunday, and they don't schedule gunnery practice on a Sunday. So perhaps that wasn't um, a real patrol boat. And um, I like the way he's only yeah. just thought of this. He's, he's yeah. not perfect at all, is he? Nope. Not like us. Well, obviously, we don't make mistakes, do we? <laughs> well, we cut them out. That's why. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Do, do you? <laughs> I try to. doesn't always work. Oh. Oh. So they head back to take another look. TC is worried that if it really is a Navy boat, he's going to get a fine. But Magnum reassures him that if that happens, he'll pay it. And TC's amused by this. Yeah, because he never pays his debts. Never pays his debts. They buzz past the boat, and Magnum sees that the ship has no official markings, meaning that it's definitely a private boat. He's convinced it's Le Boule and wants another pass. On the deck of the ship, a man, possibly Le Boule, comes out with some armed guards, and we only see Le Boule from the back. Hmm. But he looks mighty familiar to me. Don't know about you. John Craven. John Craven. Right? <laughs> you don't see him anymore, do you? That's what, well, you know why. It's because he's bloody smuggling cocaine. You go from news round to country file to cocaine smuggler. Yeah, yep. It's a, it's a slippery slope. Do you think he's going to sue us if he listens to this? Who, John yeah. Craven? Nah, he's too strung out. Is he, is he dead? Is he even alive? I don't know. Well, we've probably killed him now anyway, even if he... <laughs> With our track record. <laughs> we did That's we did tend to finish them off on the podcast, don't we? Yeah. Magnum takes more photos and tells TC not to worry, they're not gonna shoot. Cut to later, and Magnum, Higgins, and Alice are developing the photographs in a dark room. Alice examines one of them and remarks that the men they're shooting alright. Yep. Magnum just laughs it off, but Higgins takes a look. And even describes what kind of guns they were using. And doesn't he say, yeah, doesn't he does. he say something like, oh, um, 
wouldn't use them himself or something something along those lines. No, he prefers uh, prefers the British made sterling. Of course, yeah. Magnum has tried to enlarge a picture of Le Boule, but it hasn't come out too well. And it's it's a funny picture, isn't it? It's just they they kind of make out as like there's something wrong with the picture, but the only thing obscuring his face is the fact that he's holding these dirty great binoculars in front of his face. <laughs> yeah, but I like the fact they didn't do that trickery where they, they take a photograph and they go, Oh, let's blow it up and suddenly it's all perfectly clear. Yeah, that, that doesn't work in this, does it? Yeah. No. However, he finds something familiar in the stance and build of the man. Mm, could it be somebody he do? We could tell him. We all know who he is. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we could. Some detective, right? I know. Sorry, sorry, private investigator. Th- this supposed mystery of Laboul is one of the few things that doesn't work, isn't it? It's so obvious who he's going to be because you don't get Robert Loggier in, in a couple of flashbacks yeah, and then kill him off. It only, it only doesn't work because we know who Robert Loggier is. Probably back in when this was first heard, was he that popular? I don't know. I don't know. It just seemed. I, I don't know. It just we're, felt really. We've got obvious, a lot of information. I suppose. Yeah. We've got a lot more information than Magnum's got. Okay. And don't forget, it's like how many years? Fifteen years, eighteen years between. I don't know how long, many years between Vietnam. It's not. And it's less than ten, isn't it? It's less than ten. Less than ten. Mm. Okay, but still, he hasn't seen him, and as far as he knew, that guy was dead. I suppose. All right. Okay, all right. You're, 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 you're slowly swinging me around. Oh, am I? <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> hey, not for the I'll first time, Colin, eh? <laughs> no. The phone rings and Higgins answers it, expecting it to be Robin Masters, but is disgruntled at the sound of TC's voice. Passing the receiver to Magnum, he reminds him that this is a private phone and not for personal use. Yeah. Do you find Higgins a bit insufferable at times? I mean, I know he's meant to be. Yes. But sometimes it's a bit much, a bit too much. Yes, and I think... and I think. Do they tone that down? First... You, you've watched further on, yes. haven't you? For the first season, though, he can be insufferable, but then they tone, they tone it down. I mean, they have to, really, because Magnum and Higgins become to respect each other. That was what I was going to ask you. I'm guessing that they become friends, in a way. Yeah, in a way. In a yeah. way, okay. But yeah, it does get a bit much at times in in the first season. I, I wonder whether it was just me and it was just annoying me, so I'm glad that it's, it, it's not. Right, yeah. TC tells Magnum that he flew back and forth a few times to the island and he saw the boat rendezvous with a speedboat and there's a gag about TC needing more money for gas. Yeah. Magnum wants Higgins to run the foe over to Rick's for him, but Higgins says that that's out of the question and heads to the kitchen with Alice. Magnum's path is blocked by the dogs until Alice comes back and very easily just calls them off. And she's only been there, what, a day? Right, right. Uh, in the in the book, <laughs> it, it has, this, has Higgins with one of Magnum's shirts rubbing it into the dog's nose and saying, kill him, kill him. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Once you've done that, there's nowhere to go in a TV show, is there? <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Imagine that. It's just, it's just like 
in moonlight and he's just like rubbing it in the dog's face. Kill him. Kill him. If I get attacked by a large Doberman tomorrow, I'll know what you've been doing then, won't I? Yeah, I've been rubbing your underwear in his face. I'd like to know how you got it. Yeah, he, he says, uh, bad man, kill, kill. <laughs> and then it goes on to three pages about about killing Arabs. But uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it was either going to be that or, or uh, yeah. mounds of, in, of whatever. <laughs> yeah. Breast dipped in chocolate or something or whatever. Magnum asks... Co- Cooley, Cooley gets seven pages of description in this book. For a character that you see, what, twice? Three times at the most? Yeah. yeah. And one of yeah. them is dead. Oh, spoilers. Yeah. Oh. Magnum asks Higgins again, and Higgins replies that, okay, he'll do it on condition that he drives the Ferrari. And it's purely just because he doesn't want Magnum to drive it, isn't it? Yeah. Magnum shakes his head, but Alice almost puts her foot in it, saying that they can use her brother's car. Your brothers, asks Higgins, glancing over to Magnum. But Alice hastily makes the excuse that she's talking about a brother from her dad's previous marriage, and he's no relation to Magnum. Reluctantly. A brother from another mother. That's the one. I don't think Higgins buys it, does he? Because he kind of just looks at him. But reluctantly, Magnum ends up taking Higgins' deal. Yep. Later, Alice is looking at an old army photo when Magnum enters in full dress uniform. And I like that they don't actually talk about what the plan is either. Right. The plan unfolds as as the next few scenes go along. You don't know why he's suddenly in this dress uniform. They don't mention you it do- in this scene. Right. The, the only time like, they have mentioned that he's, going, he's thinking about stealing the files because mm. that's in that voiceover when he goes through the tunnel. But you don't you don't really know why why he's having to wear a dress uniform to do it. No, no, you're right. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. She says that that's the Thomas that she fell in love with as a schoolgirl. How old is she meant to be now? They look the same age. I guess maybe she could be a few years younger. He's like nineteen or whatever in uniform, and she maybe was about fourteen or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes yeah. sense. She asks him why he quit the service. And he replies that one day he woke up at 33 years old and realised that he'd never been 23. Leave it at that, he tells her abruptly. This upsets her a bit and he apologises, saying that he swore he'd never put the uniform on again. And there's a bit of smooching. Yeah. Until he pulls back, telling her that the timing is lousy. He's worried that she's too vulnerable right now and he doesn't want to take advantage. This is the 80s, right? Yeah, no, it's weird for it's, yeah. usually. Usually in our in our eighties shows or films, we've had like at least a couple of rapes by now. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what 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 trounced it in the ratings on Thursday nights? The Cosby Show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when it came out, leave that one there. Right. Are you trying to convince me or you? She asks, telling him that she never asked him to be a big brother. Outside. Kono, the uh, assassin guy. Barbarian? Yeah. Oh, sorry. He's up a tree with binoculars watching them before Sleazley turns his attention to another window where the two female guests have appeared. Yeah. But before he gets the chance to uh, do whatever he's going to do, the dogs come bounding out and they chase him back (gasps) to his car. Who let the dogs out? Higgins did. You're going to do that again? (laughs) 
Higgins heads out with the pictures, followed by Magnum and Alice. But they are in Dan's car, while Higgins drives the Ferrari, as per the deal. And Kono follows the Ferrari. So he's following the wrong guy. Yep, yep. Magnum and Alice drive past Ski at the base checkpoint, but luckily he doesn't make them. It starts to rain heavily, and Alice worries what will happen if one of the guards at the NIA desk recognises Magnum. And NIA stands for... Naval Intelligence Agency. He admits that he was hoping that she would entice them away, and they both laugh. They arrive at the NIA base, and he tells her to sit tight. She kisses him, and he heads off. And that kiss goes on for a while, that shot. Oh, you felt it was a bit long for you? just went on a bit. Yeah, don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Inside the base, Magnum poses as the officer that he used to be, I guess. Yes. And he yeah. berates a young seaman on the front. <laughs> Whoa, what? what? What's happening now? He what berates with a this? young seaman. I, in fairness, it's only been a year since he's not been in uniform, by the way. So he still knows the part, doesn't he? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So he berates a young seaman on the front desk for reading on duty. And we should say that this young uh, seaman is played by a very young Judge Reinhold. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would imagine that there's quite a lot of instances like any any show where people pop up in it that you don't expect. I didn't yeah. realise until I, I, I came across it when I was doing some research that and don't say it. Yes, I do research. Frank Sinatra's in an episode of Magnum. Yes, he is. Yeah. Is he confused? We have talked about this on the podcast. I can't remember. It was on one of our uh, uh, special ones where we talked about, uh, I think it was the one where we did like a night, a day's program. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the COVID, I think our so. COVID episode. Yeah. Yes, that's mm-hmm. it. That one. And I talked about that episode. Oh, right. Okay. And he's uh, easy confused. Yeah. Who, Frank Sinatra? Mm-hmm. No, he's all right. Is he? I, I think it's actually the last thing he ever filmed. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I look forward to seeing that one eventually yeah magnum quizzes him jokily and suggests that he saved the cheap robin masters novels for when he's off duty so robin masters is like the stephen king of the magnum world in the fact that his books are just everywhere yes exactly mm-hmm. yeah it's quite a funny gag that yeah it is yeah. Mag- yeah magnum goes to the lift but pulls a face when he hears that tonight's duty officer is ensign healy oh Upstairs, Magnum picks a lock and goes into an office. The voiceover tells us that we all make mistakes, but he'll be in and out before Healy even knows a thing. Perfect. Magnum searches through the files, and the voiceover continues, telling us that Cooley had put Dan onto every worthless case he could find and compares it to putting McGarrett out as a meter maid. And there's your 5 reference again. Ah, got it. He keeps searching as Alice waits outside. But Healy pulls up in his car, and noticing Alice, he comes over to give his respects regarding her brother, and he asks her, what's she doing here at 2am? It's a fair question. It's a question you've been asked when you've been hanging out with sailors at 2am, right? What, the Blue Oyster Bar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. She smiles. Like, oh, I, yeah. you, 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 I mean, they asked you and you said, oh, I just like being surrounded by semen. <laughs> right? 
That's what she said. She smiles and replies, waiting for Ensign Healy. Right. Back inside. Smooth. Smooth. Back inside and Magnum finds a file about a missing Japanese cargo plane in the 1940s. Divers found the wreckage just off the island and Dan had written to the mother of the pilot saying that he would check with the officer investigating the wreckage, Captain Jay Cooley. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Mm. Healy and Alice, meanwhile, have sought out shelter from the rain and she spins a yarn about coming to get her brother's personal effects, name-dropping her father in the process, which works wonders. Yep. Magnum's voiceover then tells us that whoever killed Dan was tied to Liboul, and that Cooley is probably tied to Liboul also. Mm, He's, all fitting together nicely. He says that Dan's case file will get him Cooley, and Cooley will get him Liboul. Alice and Healy speak to Judge Reinhold at the desk, and Healy gives him a... Is it a bucket of chicken or something? Yes, he says, save some fries for me. Um, and he gives it to him to keep him quiet while they go upstairs. I mean, that would work for me as well. Oh, you'd be like, woohoo! Is it paid? If he, had, if he had chicken and beer, even better. Yeah, that's true. That's your perfect <clears> combination, <throat> it is, it right? Is. Magnum leaves the office but sees the elevator is on its way up and darts to another door. He starts to pick the lock, and his voice server says, don't look at the elevator, work the lock. Don't look at the elevator, work the lock. And there's your nice callback from yes. episode one. He gets inside and ducks down, just as Alice and Healy head into his office. There's a flash of lightning from the window, and we instantly cut to Magnum in the other room, looking down at a very dead coolie sitting in his chair. That's another nice transition there as well, the way they do, because when the lightning flash goes off, it, it's on Alice's face and she jumps. And then you instantly right. cut to the dead body and, and Magnum looking down. Right, yep. Magnum surmises that he's been dead since late on Friday, and that's why nobody's found the body yet. Yeah, all right. It just seems like no one looks, no one cleans the <laughs> yeah. office, no one noticed. I did think about cleaners, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's ever going to happen to you? Maybe you'll be in your office, no one will notice for days. In fact, it'll be like a week there, people will still be coming in and talking to you and like leaving stuff here and you're just dead, but no one notices. Colin, Colin, for that to happen, I'd have to be at work. Oh yeah, there is that, right? Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. And from Cooley's facial expression, Magnum surmises that he was in agony when he died. And he admits that he doesn't feel sorry for him. So Magnum's a moral guy, but there's kind of a stoniness about him as well, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there are a few episodes where he shoots people because, um, you know, he feels it's the right thing to do, but even though the person is unarmed or something, it, yeah, he makes a decision. He's not always Mr. Nice Guy. Well, that's interesting because I'm going to ask you a question when we get to uh, the end of the episode. Oh, goody. Uh, ask you a question about what you think. Healy is typing a receipt for Alice when Magnum appears at the window, holding the file and gesturing that they need to go. Magnum goes back downstairs, berating Reinhold once again for eating this time, and he heads outside, ducking down into the back of the car. Hmm. Next, Healy and Alice also come down and head out. She tells him that he's wet enough for one night and goes back to her car alone. Getting in, she and Magnum make a quick getaway. Nice. 
Magnum tells her what he's found in the files, and that Cooley said that the wreckage and the cargo were worthless, when in reality, it was the gold. Yep. Magnum suspects Dan went to Japan to check their war records, and nothing had matched with what Cooley had said. Alice then gets hysterical and runs from the car into the rain, screaming that she'll kill Cooley, but Magnum tells her that someone already did that. The bull, probably. At Rick's, Kono is looking around as Higgins is showing Rick and TC the photo of Laboule. But nobody can work out who it is. As Higgins goes to leave, Rick tries to offer him some money. But Higgins tells him, I don't accept tips. I bet you don't give them either, laughs TC. Higgins stops in the doorway. For a second, there's a hint that things could turn nasty. But then he just walks away. Right. So, as you said, when you've watched further on, is Higgins... A bit of a Robert McCall type badass, secretly. Yeah, like he 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 tells all these stories, and they're they, they throughout the episodes they're like, oh god, he's telling one of his stories. But nine times out of ten, the stories are proved to be true. Right. Okay. Because that's what I wonder. Because something happens in a minute that kind of makes him look like it's all just stories. Right. But you, you know the, the the moment I'm talking about. Yeah. But TC is ogling women in the club when Rick notices Kono following Higgins out. He recognises Kono as a hitman for hire, and grabbing a couple of guns, they run outside. Higgins is walking down the street. Kono is following. He reaches the Ferrari, where Kono attempts to manhandle him, and he gets a karate chop for his trouble, which doesn't seem to do much to him. So this is where I thought, is Higgins full of shit, or is Kono, Kono just really tough? Yeah, maybe both, bit of both. But yeah, they do like have stories where Higgins' past comes up and it is usually intelligence-related or military. Right, okay, okay. Do we ever see some sort of, any, any flashbacks to do with Higgins in the war? Pretty, yeah, we do, because I think at one, one two-parter, Higgins is kidnapped for something he's done in the past and, and get, then we get flashbacks. I guess they get a younger actor to play him in the flashbacks, yeah. do they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or they just stick a, stick a tash on him. <laughs> Um, and then, and then we also, we have a couple of episodes where Higgins plays his own, like offspring, his own brother. Oh, right. There's an Irish, there's a Irish Higgins. Uh, and then there seen... is, I think there's a, there's a country Higgins too. I think oh, God. I remember right. I think I've seen the Irish one. Right. I think I've seen that episode. Yeah. I think I caught it once on daytime TV when it was on sometime. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but obviously out of context, I didn't know what the hell was going on, you know. So. <laughs> uh, Kono pulls a revolver, but Higgins activates the Ferrari's security system and its alarm sounds. Rick is running down the street when Magnum and Alice pull over, and Rick fills him in on what's happening. Yep. Distracted by the alarm, Higgins knocks the gun from Kono's hand and runs towards Magnum and Rick, who are across the street. Kano picks up the gun and aims. Magnum pulls Higgins to the ground just as Rick riddles Kano with submachine gun bullets. Quite a brutal yeah. moment, isn't it? When he kills him like that. Yeah. Considering the general Easy. the general tone that we've had up to this point, it's been kind of light and, right. and breezy, hasn't it? Yeah. Most of the time. Magnum helps Higgins to his feet. I don't know what to say, Higgins tells him. You owe me one, says Magnum. I'd really rather not, replies Higgins. <laughs> That's a good a good moment. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. TC arrives and they look over Kano's body. He takes a machine gun from Rick, saying, 
I always knew you could shoot, but where'd you get this gun, Orville? Orville? Questions Higgins. Yeah, that's where it's revealed. His name is Orville. And that's a payoff to the line way, way back where he, he threatens to tell him what his real name is. Yeah. Yeah. Alice asks Magnum if the dead man is Laboul, but he shakes his head and she collapses into his arms, sobbing. Maybe I should have told her it was, Magnum's voiceover tells us. But I couldn't lie to her any more than I could lie to myself. I just have a sixth sense, a feeling that I'll just know Liboul when I see him. Well, we could help him. We know who he is. Yeah, we could. Yeah, yeah. We're known for the last 40 Pretty minutes. Much. Later, Magnum is swimming and he climbs out for a rest. His voiceover continues that he'd figure Liboul would be on the run by now, but he can't shake the feeling that he feels he knows him somehow. Suddenly, he realises something, and he runs back to the house, grabs his gun and loads it. Alice comes from the bedroom and he tells her, I know who Laboul is. Does this work? Yeah, it's fine. All right. Keep going. Okay. You're doing all no, right. No, I don't mean don't me doing this. Yourself. I mean... <laughs> oh, oh. The, the sudden no, no, realisation that works. he has. Well, it's because he's swimming. He's relaxing. It's like in the shower. Things you think of things in the shower. Yeah, I, I often figure out who uh, faceless people are in, uh, <laughs> in photographs. Yeah, yeah. You, you've done that. You've been in the shower and you've gone, shit, did I leave my fingerprints at that crime scene? <laughs> you've done that. <laughs> That's when you realize those things. I don't know what you're talking about. Cut to an airport. Magnum is looking around. It would make sense that Laboul was on the first flight to Hong Kong that morning, but Magnum knows that he won't be on it. He just knows. He looks around, searching. Everything is tense. Suddenly, the two house guests who we see are stewardesses right. spot yep. Magnum and they call out his name. Hearing the word, a man turns. It's Laboul, or should I say, Trousseau. You're shocked, Colin, right? I, yeah, well, yeah, it's a very shocked. Shocked at the way he delivered it. I was giving it feeling. Bit of oomph, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was good. Thanks. Dramatic. Magnum sees him and everything moves into slow motion as Trousseau tries to leave, followed by Magnum. And we see that Trousseau is still wearing his old team ring from the Vietnam days. Yeah. Magnum follows him into the restroom where Trousseau has taken a gun from a briefcase and tucked it into the back of his trousers. Magnum enters. As you can see, I survived, says Trousseau. So did Dan, until last week, replies Magnum, as he slowly pulls out his gun. And I like the way that you just see him just take it out. And then he cocks it, doesn't he? Yeah. So, going back to what you said about things that Magnum's done, my question is, if what happens didn't happen, and not to spoil it, but Trousseau's going to pull his gun out on him, if he didn't, was he going to kill him anyway? I think so, because he killed Dan. And he, and he tells Snow White that, Laboul is never going to mm -hmm. leave Hawaii with the gold. And if he was going to arrest Laboul, then the police would get the gold. But even though he's, he's had the sudden shock that it's actually someone that he, that he knows and probably someone that he respected quite a lot. I think that's even more reason to kill him because he's betrayed the team. Jesus, I'm, I'm never going to get on your bad side, Colin. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't betray I'm the dead. team. The ring means all. <laughs> oh, that's interesting then. Okay. Trousseau tells him that he didn't know it was Dan until it was too late. 
And Selick's really good at selling the anger and utter disappointment that he's feeling in this moment, isn't he? You just see it in his eyes. There are two kinds of men in war, Magnum, says Trousseau. Those that can end life and those who can't. This isn't Nam, says Magnum. Looking defeated, Trousseau agrees, sighing. He looks at Magnum and asks, why didn't you come back for me? This causes Magnum to look away for a split second and suddenly Trousseau spins around and fires, hitting Magnum in the shoulder. Magnum shoots back. Trousseau slides to the floor, a gunshot to the chest. Yeah, shot him right between the urinals. Oof. Sounds painful. It does. Yeah. It gives you, <laughs> makes you flush. Magnum moves towards him, still aiming his weapon at Trousseau. Trousseau starts to fade as Magnum slides down the wall in front of him. We came back, Magnum tells him, but you were gone. Trousseau dies, and Magnum lays down his gun and removes the ring from Trousseau's hand, clasping it to his injured shoulder. He's sad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. We zoom in and we fade out. Ah. It's a very good finale to an episode that there's no big stunt or set piece. It's just two actors in a room, two gunshots mm-hmm. and an enclosed space. It, it makes a change, doesn't it? You'd yep. never get that now, would you? It does. Yeah. No, no. We cut to Magnum reclining on a chair, his arm in a sling and he's opening a beer. His voice. O- Your kind of man. My kind of man. His voiceover tells us that the day after he was discharged from intensive care, Alice and her father buried Dan at Arlington Cemetery with honours. So his name's cleared. Yep, he's got his military rights back. Mm-hmm. Alice promised to come back, and he promised that the timing would be right. But we know it's never going to happen. Nope. He goes on to say that Robin Masters called that night, and Higgins, being out, he answered. Masters told him that three French stew he calls them stews, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. Three French stews, <laughs> tasty, would be in that weekend. And would he ask Higgins to show them Hawaii? He volunteered, and TC was flying them in. But when Higgins found out, he was less than impressed. He sees entertaining the guests as his territory. And we see Higgins on the balcony, face like thunder, don't we? Yep. But as the chopper lands, Magnum grins. But come on, three French stews, he says. What would you do? Yum, yum. And as the dogs begin to bark, we freeze frame. And that's the end of the pilot episodes of Magnum P.I. So, Paul, what did you think of the pilot episode, or episodes, of Magnum P.I.? This wasn't a show that I watched as a kid much. I saw the odd episode here and there. But for the mm-hmm. most part, it kind of passed me by a bit. I, I, I wonder why. I don't know. I think it was because it, it tended to be on late at night, didn't it? Because it wasn't like the A-Team or Night Rider where it was on between 7 and, and 9. It was all, usually on later than that. Was it? I think so, yeah. Hmm. So all I can say is, isn't it great when you discover an old classic? Yeah, yeah, especially if you've got like 170-odd episodes that you know you're going to get to watch. Absolutely. never seen. Yeah. What a fantastic way to open a series. It's funny. It's got fantastic mm-hmm. locations. 
it looks spectacular at times. Yeah. And it's all shot really, really well. They make mm-hmm. they know how to make the most out of those locations. They do, yeah. I don't think everything works. I, I I'm still not convinced by that whole Labu thing. I think it's a bit redundant how he just figures it all out at the end. It's a bit of a leap, I think. But it's fine. Uh, all right. But when your lead actor is as charismatic as Tom Selleck, who, who cares? I mean, you just can't help but like the man, can you? I mean, that's all down to the performance. Yeah. And honestly, that goes for all the supporting cast too in this. It's another one of those rare occurrences where everyone just nails it right out, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's fantastic. So for me, this was just great. Loved every second of it. Definite hit. And I'll be watching some more. So go on. <laughs> Tell everyone what, how much you hate it. Oh, it's a travesty. <laughs> no, I, I really like it too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, even though it, it's one of those 80s detective shows, it seems to have writing of a higher caliber than usual. Absolutely. Do they keep that up? Yeah. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. I felt so. Okay. Yeah, I never, when I've watched them all and I never felt that it was um, going off the rails in any way. They always tried new things as mm-hmm. well and different styles. And you would get a serious episode and you get a completely jokey episode. Okay. So they, mm-hmm. do, they do things like that too. And But I, I agree that you're going to find Higgins insufferable. You are going to. And then they, they figure out the balance. At a point. Oh, that's good then. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Tom Selleck's great in it. All the other actors are good, um, and it has it just has all the right elements. Somehow they managed to just get it right straight away. So it's a hit. Uh, go on. <laughs> yes, it's a Twist hit. Twist your arm. <laughs> yeah, uh, and all I can say, just 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 as a as a final thing as well, and I'm sure that you'd agree with me, is that if you want to watch Magnum, watch this Magnum. Don't watch the new one. Wait, there's another one? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, there's not, no. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, you know the uh, how there's um, connections between Hawaii Five-0 and Magnum? Mm-hmm. They still do yeah. that between Hawaii Five-0 and Magnum, the two, the new shows? I imagine it's the same production so. team, yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. But don't watch either of those. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Fair enough. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you to our Patreon supporters. And don't forget, you can email us at info at retrospectionpodcast.com. You can visit the site at retrospectionpodcast.com. And you can still message us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can still listen to the themes and the songs for the shows that we review on our Spotify playlist. And remember, today you may be in a slump, but tomorrow you can always hula. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>